Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And it's still 1967, and today we are talking about thoroughly modern Millie. Millie comes to town in the Roaring Twenties to encounter flappers, sexuality, and white slaver. Yeah, big content warning today. There's a lot of race bullshit in this episode. Yeah. This movie is like... 75% fine. Mm -hmm. And then they've already got a problematic setup, but it's the end of the movie that really turns. Yeah, it's not good. It's it. What's really frustrating is we talked about this with Slapshot, which I know will come into play a little bit here later. But like, what's really disappointing about this movie is that there's a really good core premise at the heart of it to Mm -hmm. begin with. Yeah. You didn't need this extra element. Yeah. You really didn't. It it doesn't. Like... You need need women being kidnapped. (laughs) Yes, there could be something seedy going on without it being this. Yes. Something that is specific that's just making it all about race. So that's bad. But then what they did... It's horrible. So they're supposed to be Chinese. Both of the two gentlemen who are playing the Chinese workers are credited as Oriental number one and Oriental number two. Mm -hmm. And they're played by two people who are not Chinese. They are Japanese American. And the Chinese spoken in the movie is gibberish. It's not actual Chinese. It's really just awful. It's like really it's got awful and there's no way around it. I I I want to be able to be like, well, I can appreciate this movie outside of it. It was like, I don't know, man. Actually, if you deleted all of that out, all of that stuff out, this movie is adorable. <laughs> Silly and ridiculous, sure, but adorable, which I can say is true because that's basically what they did with the 2002 musical. Hey! Which is phenomenal, won a Tony, and brought Sutton Foster into my life. Waka waka. Yeah. Isn't that amazing how when you take the racism out, it still works? Like, there's still, like, sexist politics, but I do love that the whole thing is that Millie is so modern. She, her whole thing is, I am a kick-ass secretary. I'm going to find the hottest, richest single boss and that's going to be my husband because I don't want to be poor. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. I'm not going to marry for love. I'm marrying for money. And that's modern. Well, like, I, but that's, that's having a modern attitude towards marriage. No, I get it. I totally do. It. That's why it's funny. Yeah. When we look at that and we go, oh, come on, Millie. You're better than that. No, but then I love that she's presented with the problem. Like she meets this boy who's perfect for her and he's broke. Uh-huh. And then once she said it, like, I can't, I got to marry the guy who's perfect for me. Oh, wait, he's rich. Eh, okay. That's not the greatest way to end the thing, but you know. But okay. And in a fairy tale, let's put a bow on it. Okay, sure. It's great. Everyone's happy. Everyone gets everything that they want. There's no compromises involved. I uh, just wowzers. So this film had a budget of $6 million and it grossed. $40 million worldwide. So it's $6 million. Mm-hmm. The budget is $46 million. For a musical today, that's really still pretty cheap. Yeah, um, it is, except that there's not a whole lot of big set pieces in this one. Uh, the elevator is a huge set piece because it's used over and over again. All of the car chasing stuff 
We just don't have those like giant dance fantasy sequences that we've seen in other musicals. No. It feels small. It is smaller because it's not a fantastical, but there are still a lot of elements. But like $47 million today is still low for a musical. And at 40 million in gross, we're looking at 308 million. Yeah, it's it's a box office smash. It was a hit. The film earned $8.5 million in rentals in North America in 1967. Yeah. At this time, Julie Andrews was the number one box office star in motion pictures. Well, hell yeah, she was. Thoroughly Modern Millie was her last film of the 60s to make money. Her next two films, Star and Darling Lily, were colossal financial disasters, and Andrews did not star in another hit film until 1974 when she was in The Tamarind Seed. So yeah, like this was her last like super big one for a bit. I mean, that's not her fault. No. The public turned away from the musical. It just did. Also Star and Darling Lily. Mm. Yeah, it, it was a lot of confluences. We talked about this when we discussed Doolittle... And back when we talked about Hello, Dolly, Mm -hmm. of the studios just poured so much money into these musicals, and then they weren't of any quality, and nobody watched them. Mm -hmm. So then it was just a disaster. Kind of, yeah. Writing. The film is based on the musical Chrysanthemum, which opened in London in 1956, but only one writer is credited. And that's Richard Morris. Before this, he wrote Finders Keepers, Ma and Pa Kettle at the Fair, Take Me to Town, The Loretta Young Show, In a Man's Answers, La Route, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, and then after this, Change of Habit, Alias Smith and Jones on television, and Late Night with David Letterman for one episode. (laughs) He just guest wrote. Yep. All right. So how do we feel about the writing? Well, we already kind of got into it. Like, there's a huge story problem that was unnecessary. There is something wonderfully tongue-in-cheek about this musical Mm -hmm. that made me fall in love with it pretty quickly. Yeah. Because it's very self-aware. It it is very self-aware. And then they, I don't know how much of this is a directing thing or a writing thing, but they use placards instead of actual asides from Julie Andrews' character. It's so good. Yeah. And it's hilarious. It's very 20s. It's just, they throw these little references into 20s movie making and silent films Mm -hmm. to poke fun at what they're doing on screen. And they just do it every single time. And it's not just the writing that creates that. Like there's a, everybody else involved had to buy into that premise to make it work. Mm -hmm. But if that was in the script and we wouldn't know without reading it, but it feels like it had to be in there. Something to that effect. Something had to be winking and nodding at the camera for it to have that much humor and self-awareness of itself. And I think that's why it was such a huge hit is because people were a little tired of just seeing a normal romantic musical story. Mm-hmm. We saw The Sound of Music. What are we going to do different? Yeah. And this is different. It is very different. It's just a diff- completely different tone. Mm-hmm. And it's very playful. And I love it. Just take the slavery storyline out. And it it's awesome. Really, it is. It's, it's just a pure romance story that works fine on its own. All right. Our director... It's George Roy Hill. We've talked about him before, but uh, just a little bit before this, he did a lot of television like Craft Theater, Kaiser Aluminum Hour, Period of Adjustment, Toys in the Attic, and the World of Henry Orient and Hawaii. After 
after this, he did some small films called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Slaughterhouse Five, The Sting, Slapshot, A Little Romance, The World According to Garp, The Little Drummer Girl, and Funny Farm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. We've we've talked about the highs and lows of George Royo. This is definitely a high. Yeah, like it's not it's not perfect with a big low right there glaring at us though. Yeah, we up until recently, Slapshot was our lowest rated film. Yeah, uh, that was dethroned by Doctor Doolittle, <laughs> uh, which is kind of amazing if you think about it. Pretty, Slapshot is actively trying to make you hate it, and I literally hate the experience wherein I did not completely hate the experience of Dr. Doolittle. I was mostly just bored. So this is definitely one of his higher marks. We loved The Sting. Oh, yeah. I've still never seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Of course, it's on the list. But this one's good. And you can see how he couldn't have done The Sting without having done this before. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he could have, but... But think about the story beats of The Sting. It's very musical in a way. The way The Sting works and the way The Sting is structured is very informed by what he did on this film. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's not to say that he wouldn't have come up with the same ideas for that movie, but you can see the seeds of that right here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one interesting thing about him. He is a director with a very distinct style. Mm-hmm. You can't call him an auteur because it's not like he writes these films. It's not like he's creating these out of thin air, but he's definitely one of those late 60s, early 70s directors in the studio system that had a very clear, interesting vision. Mm-hmm. Kind of bridges that gap. Yeah. And this movie has that. It has a clear idea and vision beyond the story being told. Yes. Even with a bunch of problematic crap, mm-hmm. he's got definitive ways of making it. And this doesn't feel like any normal movie musical mm-hmm. because he's throwing, I mean, he's throwing like weird Dutch angles and throwing the camera around. Mm-hmm. Like he does some stuff that I'm like, you would never see this in a movie musical in that time. So I, he leaves his stamp on the movie oh, in a sure. really good way. It, it works for the most part. Oh, I mean, I, I, I think he did a great job with yeah. it. I mean, I the only things I would change have more to do with the script and just to like, okay, for today, let's do this a little bit better. But that's that's it. Yeah. Right, our cast. Mm. We start with Julie Andrews as Millie Dillmount. We've talked about her before. So just to place this movie within some of her other stuff, before this, she did Mary Poppins and The Sound of Music. After Victor Victoria, uh, Julie Television, The Princess Diaries, Shrek 2, Enchanted, Julie's Green Room on Netflix. And she is going to be in the upcoming television series, Briggerton. She's so good. She just fucking slaps, no matter where she is. <laughs> She's the shit. And she's a badass. I always think this movie came before Sound of Music and and Mary Poppins because those feel very mature. Uh And this one feels so, she feels so young. She was young in all of them, but she feels like such a younger woman in this film. So that's interesting because for me, having my last experience with her being Sound of Music Mm -hmm. and us watching that, she actually feels older to me in this. In The Sound of Music, she feels very childlike, very looking through a, a childlike perspective. That's not to say that she's not grown up and has to make grown up decisions. Yeah. But you watch this movie and you go, she's a self-confident, assured mm-hmm. woman. She is flighty, but she's also just like full of energy and going full bore for what the hell she wants. <laughs> oh, no, I get that. But I just, I guess like her persona here feels so much younger. Now, it's totally 
polar opposites from Mary Poppins. Yes. Yes. You think about her and Poppins, mm-hmm. and you know, she's everyone's favorite nanny. So, mm. so no, she's just great she's and just, funny as hell. That woman can sing and that woman can dance. It's just, it's just, she's just amazing. And she can mug. I think that's what's interesting. She, in this she can mug. We haven't seen her do that. She She's not asked to a lot. She, she does do it in the Princess Diaries mm-hmm. with... Anne Hathaway, which is charming and precious. But, but in, yeah, but in this movie, it's like your job here is mug for the camera. Mm-hmm. And she does it so well. She has some clown like qualities here that you wouldn't have expected otherwise. Yep. Love her. Next, we have James Fox as Jimmy Smith. Before this, he was in The Servant, King Rat, and The Chase. After this, he was on Nancy Astor, the TV miniseries, Runners, A Passage to India, High Season, Farewell to the King, Hostage, Patriot Games, As You Like It, The Remains of the Day, the 1997 Anna Karenina. He was in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as Mr. Salt. Sherlock Holmes as Sir Thomas Rotherham. And his most recent credit is in 2018 in Christmas Survival. So he's done a ton. He did a lot of TV in there, too. He's very silly. Yeah. And very immature. Very, like, very, like, gee golly, I'm just a dude in the city. I mean, he is in that way of he's also playing that very obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's not a sense of, I am just an aw shucks kind of guy. It's that he's like acting, acting, which works for the movie. I don't necessarily want to like degrade the performance. It's just like they told him you have to really be presentational. And Mm -hmm. I think what makes it uneven at times is like sometimes we don't need you to do that. We need you to like actually be a real human for a minute. Mm. One who could have been better. Robert Wagner is who they wanted for the lead. (sighs) <sighs> no. He would have been better than the Trevor Graydon. Maybe. But no, not with Julie Andrews. No, thank you. You've got to have somebody that can match the energy and flightiness. Mm. Yes. I mean, honestly, be this guy. Redford could have done it. Mm. Yes, Redford can do anything. Because Redford... I don't know if he can dance. Well, I mean, there, there's that aspect, right? But if yeah. I'm just thinking from an acting perspective... Oh, sure. I'm looking at this guy going... If I had Redford doing the same mugging, mm-hmm. it would work. Yeah. Because he has enough gravitas to make me believe him in the serious scenes. Fair. Fair. Nice with Mary Tyler Moore as Miss Dorothy Brown. Before this, she was on tons of television like Ozzie and Harriet and the Dick Van Dyke Show. And after this, she was in Don't Just Stand There, Change of Habit, Rhoda, the Mary Tyler Moore Show, and pretty much every possible Mary or Rhoda iteration from there on out, which was the majority of her career. Mary Tyler Moore is hilarious. She steals every scene in this movie. She truly does because she is just a freaking walking cartoon character. In the best way. Oh, yes. Well, she's a cartoon character, but a grounded one. Yes. One that totally understands her character and plays it and commits to it. I'll write a check. Who writes a check? I do. (laughs) Everywhere. She never drops character. No. Ever. I don't love the voice that she's using. But she's great, so I don't care. To me, it doesn't matter because she's just so invested. Like, I'm just like, how do you do that? How do you play that character that well for that stretch of time? Because she's on screen a lot. Mary Tyler Moore said that she always thinks of the tap dancing scene in the film whenever she sees an elevator. <laughs> just, I, that just That brings my heart so much joy. Yeah. It's I, so cute. It makes sense, though. 
And according to her autobiography, After All, Lou Wasserman had brought her to Universal after her unexpected success as a comic actress on The Dick Van Dyke Show with the hopes of making her the next Doris Day. And this was originally intended to be a film of that type, like a light movie comedy, until Julie Andrews came on board and then it became a musical that focused on her. (laughs) Uh, Moore also had a solo song that was cut from the final release. Yeah, that... That sounds about right. It's for the better. I mean, you know, there's a world in which that movie would be kind of fun and an interesting little undiscovered classic. Mm -hmm. But putting Julie in this movie Mm -hmm. instantly gave it this like giant upvote. Oh, sure. Next, we have the legend Carol Channing as Muzzy Von Hosmer. She's a stage legend. She is the original Dolly Levi in the stage production of Hello, Dolly. She was in The Vamp, Showgirl, and Lorelei. Movie-wise, before this, she was just on a few TV spots. And then after this, she was on The Love Boat, Where's Waldo, and The Addams Family. Yeah, I remember seeing something where it was like, she didn't do a lot of film, she ever. Was, she was, no, she did very little. She did TV stuff. Like, she did guest roles. Like, that was it. But she's a stage legend. Holy crap. My God, that woman is amazing. Like. Like, amazing. I mean, at this point in pop culture, one of the issues is that she became sort of a caricature of herself. Well, she had this unusual voice and a very a somewhat unusual look, but she's amazing. Oh, my God. Well, that that's what you see in this movie. You were like, oh, that's right. You're fucking incredible. <laughs> I would kill to see footage of her as Dolly Levi. Like, I just, I would. Like, I love Hello, Dolly. We've talked about that on this podcast before. You hear her start this movie with the sort of image of her normal voice Mm -hmm. and that image and caricature. And then she does that first song Mm -hmm. and then her voice gets lower and lower. And you're like, holy shit, how deep are you going to go? Yeah. Like, where are you getting that that range from? (laughs) Yeah, just you never know what's going to come out of her mouth in a good way. Yeah, and it's perfect for the character because that character is unfucking predictable and just absurd <laughs> so, in the best way. So she's phenomenal. Raspberries. Next, we have Beatrice Lilly as Mrs. Mears. Before this, she was an exit smiling show of shows. Are you there? Dr. Rhythm on approval and around the world in 80 days. This is her last film credit. Um, she was showing early signs of Alzheimer's disease and she had trouble memorizing her lines during filming Julie Andrews stood off camera and repeated Lily's lines to her so she could complete her scenes gotta do what you gotta do it's sad it is she puts in a really great performance okay her character sucks (laughs) her character fucking sucks but in a evil character role she's phenomenal I just I, I wish that there hadn't been all the racist bullshit behind it. Correct. And that she was just an evil old woman who was kidnapping girls. Who was kidnapping people or just stealing from them. Like or something. Or she had like a gin operation going on that she didn't want anyone. Like, I'm fine with her being a seedy apartment hotel owner. Yeah. That's fine. And she does the creepy evil thing very, very well. But the the cultural appropriation and then just doing a horrible job of what they're trying to represent is bad. It's, yeah. It's super bad. But she is phenomenal in it. Why do, 
Why do movies that are otherwise good have to keep doing this? Why? That's what we're trying to fix here in 2020. God damn. We're trying to fix this shit. And then we have, I mean, like, those are the only other people. Everybody else is kind of, like, they didn't do anything else worth talking about. Except we have two Arpons. Oh. Asian gentleman number one, Jack Sue. Okay. And Asian gentleman number two, Pat Morita. This oh. is the film debut of Pat Morita. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I know. He's so young. He is. He's so young. It's like, wow. Hi. Yeah. Hi, Mr. Miyagi. This is this is interesting to encounter you in this film of all films. Yep. So now it's time for trivia, which there's really not a lot. Some of the scenes were filmed at the former Hammonds Estate in Montecito, California. This is the first musical film financed by Universal Pictures since Flower Drum Song in 1961. A movie we need to watch. We do. I know I saw it once as a child, but like I've ne- I've got very little like reference to it. I've heard of it. I know it's a Latter-day Rogers and Hammerstein, mm-hmm. and that's about it. Mm-hmm. The Jewish wedding that Millie sang at is the wedding of one of her friends who introduced Millie to her beau during the friendship dance. Oh, so like some people, there's some critics who really didn't like that. They felt that that was just nonsensical. But when they when you realize like, oh, that is how she knew this person. It's a little less ridiculous. Yeah, it's I mean, still not great. There, there's that part of it. At first, I was like, I don't know about this one. The more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, this is actually kind of cool. Like, it's kind of cool that in a movie set in the 1920s, when we have a lot of anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. we have a what appears to be super Protestant or sort of agnostic character mm-hmm. being like, I'm all in for a Jewish wedding. Let's do it. I'm going to sing this song for you. Like, I think that's actually a cool sentiment to put into the movie. It's, yeah. it's one of the few times where it's like, this feels actually kind of nice and refreshing. The theater audience scene was filmed on what is Universal Studios' oldest stage set in existence in Hollywood history. It was used in the 1925 and then the 1943 Phantom of the Opera. And then it was also used the previous year in Alfred Hitchcock's movie Torn Curtain. Hey. That's it. That's all of our trivia. Wow. Oh, well, there's one. There's the stage musical, Thoroughly Modern Millie, open in 2002. It ran for 903 performances, and it won the 2002 Tony Award for Best Musical and Best Performance by a Main Actress in Musical for Sutton Foster. It's fair. It's fair. It's fabulous. So, awards. Awards. So, we're doing the Oscars. We have to talk about this. It was nominated for Original Score. Best Supporting Actress... For Carol Channing, this is her only Oscar-nominated performance. Interesting. Original song, art direction, costume design, and score adaptation or treatment, and then best sound. Yeah, all of those make sense. Yeah, this musical, those are usually the things that they get recognized for. And if you're talking about the performances, Carol Channing is the one that stands out in this movie. Yep, if I was going to give it to one person, it would it would be her. Yep, so... As we stated before, we are not revealing the winners of these Oscars because we're going to be watching the full 1967 Oscars later. 1968 Oscars. Well, fine. We keep screwing that up. Well, we really don't. It's it's the 1968 Oscars for the 1967 films. Yes. It's just weird things they do. And fuck the Academy anyway. Like, really? Yeah, they're on our nerves right now. Okay, so rating system. Ratings. What is our rating system going to be? How many strands of pearls? (laughs) <laughs> it's a good one. It's your movie. You it go first. It's my movie. Okay. 
It's a 3.5. Okay. I do still really like it. I think the performances are great, but I can, like, a huge plot point that's part of the meat of the movie is extremely problematic. And yeah, you can remove it, but they make such a big deal out of it. I I just, it's, it's really, it's a problem for me. So, I'm going to say 3.5 as well. Yeah, I, I feel like if we didn't have, because the musical for me is a fucking five. It slams. Fucking love that. Yeah. I love that musical. Like, I made David like this musical. Oh, this whole this whole movie would have been like a four and a half or five if we could have gotten past that. If like, we didn't have that stuff in it, it would be a four point five easy. Oh, Maybe yeah. a five. Maybe. But yeah, this you is can't, a you can't judge it that way. No. It's a three point five. I would say it goes beyond just being problematic and gets into like this is patently This is offensive. Awful and this offensively a- wrong. Oh. It's oh, there's no argument there. It is so, it is it is bad. I don't know. Can we do a cut? Can we just make our own cut of it and just be like, here? You know, I here's how you should watch this movie. Eventually, I'll I'll just in my free time because I have so much of that. I will learn Final Cut Pro uh-huh. and I will just start editing films for my own delight. There we go to fix what's wrong with them. I like it. Uh, yeah, I'll just do that. Or counter idea. Uh huh. Somebody out there do it for us. You know, they made the musical better. And so eventually, at some point, they're going to do a film version of it hey. because that's what they do. Hey. And they'll make it better. So I'm good with that. I can wait. So what are we watching next time? Next week, we're watching a movie that I know why you would never have seen. Yeah. But you really should. It is Ron Swanson approved. It's wartime, people. Oh. We're watching The Dirty Dozen. Ooh. Talk about a war movie that redefined war movies. Mm-hmm. Like... This movie is responsible for all of the grab a bunch of scruffy guys and take them into battle. Oh, yeah. Like, I know that this is this film is referenced a lot in other films that I do genuinely like. So this is one that I need to see. I know it's a war movie, but it's a different kind of war movie. And that's typically what I'm willing to go watch. So I know. All right. Well, until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.